Hey, hey, what do you say? Be careful because Mars attacks. This is Bobby Blitz from Overkill. You stay tuned. Hey, this is Chuck Billy from Testament right here on Mars Attacks. This is Chris from In This Moment, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, everyone, this is Dave Minichetti from YMT, and you're listening right now to Mars Attacks. How you doing? This is Frankie Benali from Quiet Riot, letting you know that Victor rocks on Mars Attacks Radio. Hello, everybody. This is Michael Kiske talking, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Richard Patrick from Filter, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey, this is Tim Ripper Owens. You are listening to Mars Attacks. Get out of my face. This is Ernie Seat, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. Hey there, this is Joey Vera from Armored Saint, and you are listening to Mars Attacks. Hey everybody, what's happening? This is John Bush, and you're cranking it up on Mars Attacks. Let's do it! This is Dylan Burr, and you're listening to Mars Attack Radio. Hi, this is Aldrich, and you're listening to Mars Attack. Welcome to episode 114 of the Mars Attacks podcast. I'm your host, Victor. And during this episode, we have two great interviews, one with Dylan Furr of the Dylan Furr Band, and we also have Ole Drake, formerly of Evile. Both guitarists have recently released new albums. Dylan just released the album Juxtaposition, and Ole Drake released an album called Old Rake. <laughs> there you go. So uh, we're going to have an interesting chat with both of them. I think that they're both interesting. Um, they each have different things to talk about, obviously, about their albums, but uh, different things such as gear, um, the, the state of music, uh, different guests that both of them have had on their albums, so on and so forth. I uh, recorded a whole intro to this, and, and I erased it. Um, as you may have noticed that the beginning of the episode started different than, than it has for the past few years due to the fact that we are no longer associated with any other uh, podcasting network or anything like that. Um, it's sort of bittersweet and... Last week I didn't release an episode because I was, I don't know, I was sort of bummed out, pissed off, all of the above, you know. Um, I do want to say that I, I do thank Mark Striegel for giving me the, the proverbial kick in the ass to get things started. I've said that a bunch of times. I do want to thank him for all the opportunities he's given me over the years. And who knows where the future what the future holds in store. Um, keep listening to those guys. Keep listening to what's left of Talking Metal Digital, which is Talking Metal one-on-one with Mitch Lafon and Metal Raps, which is Mark Striegel, um, also Mitch Joel and Mitch Lafon. So there you go. Um, <laughs> so sort of, sort of. Again, I just didn't know how to address that um and just wanted to get it out there so there you have it i don't want to throw anybody under under the bus i know that on other shows when 
things like this have come up. They've sort of taken a a bitchy approach to things and 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 done that, you know, pointed fingers or complained about different things, this or that, and and at the moment, you know, I'm at the moment and for for the uh, foreseeable future, I have no reason to do that. So there you go. Um, let's see. Want to remind you guys to go to the Facebook page, which is facebook.com forward slash Mars Attacks Radio. The G Plus page, which is plus.google.com forward slash Mars Attacks Radio. And the Twitter, which is uh, twitter.com forward slash Mars Aries 2005. In any event, go to marsattacksradio.com and you will find all the great links that I am talking about. Help spread the word. Like the page if you haven't previously. Uh, I know that um, that it has maybe come in question as to how many followers we have and whatnot. Um, so let's do what we can to help um, you know to help boost the amount of people that are following the show. Would be greatly appreciated, and it would show others that people are actually listening. And and you know I do think that there's a a big percentage of people that listen to my show and other shows that just don't have the time or feel like liking something else. So there you go. Um, we're gonna jump into some music that. Um, it actually pertains to the various artists involved. But before that, I do want to play some other music during uh, old Drake's uh, interview. He talks about Jeff Waters from Annihilator quite a bit. Um, and my former guitar teacher, David from Angelus Apatrida, talks about Jeff Waters all the time uh, whenever they play at a festival they they always tend to take pictures together post them on the various social media sites and you know jeff almost became their producer uh but things didn't work out due to timing and i think that uh, angela sapatrida is very happy with the decision that they did make due to the fact that they've worked with the same producer consistently the last few albums but uh here is a track that i was supposed to learn (laughs) and unfortunately due to my slothish tactics the fact that my firstborn came along and everything else um i never learned it but uh here it is this is annihilator the track is king of the kill
little annihilator there with King of the Kill. I'd be very much remiss to not play something off of one of my favorite albums to come out this year. After name dropping them and all, this is Angelus Apatrida off of Hidden Evolution. Uh, the name of this track is Tug of War. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> 
a little Angela Sapatra there. Support the bands you love. If you can, do it via our links to Amazon and the other retailers that we have in the show notes. Uh, we have expanded that to Amazon, iTunes, and um, we're part of the the, the Rakuntin Network, if that's how you pronounce it, uh, which has F- FYE, has CD Universe, and Rakuntin itself. That's the old uh, buy.com uh, site. And there are links to both U.S. and U.K. stores, for example. So click on any of those, make your purchase, and we get a small kickback, and you pay nothing additional. So you got some of those people out there that are living jet-setting lifestyles, and they're asking for you to click through on onto their site. And I can honestly say, unemployed father of two, uh, starting his own business with... Um, not to say I don't have a pot to piss in, have a great house that we moved into back in October, and we are just getting by. So that's that. Um, my wife is the big cheese, if you will. She works in a cheese factory, and she makes cheese. So there you go. Uh, anyway, moving forward, let's get into a little music from Dylan Fur. And we are going to jump right into a track off of Juxtaposition before jumping on into the interview uh, with Dylan. The name of this track is Awakened, and it kicks the album off, and it is going to kick the segment off with Dylan.
starting things off, uh, the album is actually a, a concept album. Uh, how long did it take, excuse me, how long did it take you to put the actual concept together from beginning to end? Well, the concept kind of took a little bit uh, of a turn and stuff. Like, I had it as an original concept of where a guy just gets possessed by some sort of, you know, evil entity and stuff. But then I ended up taking it a step further and tried to make it more into a plot twist, like a movie. Because a lot of times I see, when I write music, I see it like as a a movie scene by scene and stuff. And that's how I write riff by riff and song by song is like a chapter and stuff like that. So I don't know, to really hammer it out, you know, all the details and stuff probably took uh, like a month, you know, once the whole album was written and lyrics and stuff. So you had all of the the music written before you decided to go back and, and do all the lyrics, or, or you were doing that sort of side-by-side side to make sure that the riffs and, and the lyrics were sort of going one with the other? Yeah, I do them at the same time. So it's, it's kind of like I write it as the story came along and I figure out another path sort of thing, you know? Do you come up with these ideas, say, when you're out, you know, on the road or, or in the studio or whatever, and you sort of lock them away per se, and then just pull from what you think works best to, uh, you know, so sort of forward the concept, or is it something that just comes up spare of the moment right as you're doing the album? Uh, it, it can be a little bit of both. I mean, sometimes it's when I'm just improvising. I'll just sit down and improvise stuff, and something will give me a certain feeling, and that gives me an idea or shows me like a picture sort of thing. Um, and then other times it'll just come to me randomly, like I'll either wake up with a random thought or have a dream or something for it or something cliche sounding like that kind of, you know, but it, it just depends. I mean, it could be, it could be anything. A lot of times when it's working in depth to getting the the details hammered down and stuff, that kind of just comes to you because your brain kind of works on it when you're away from it a little while, you know, but the big mm-hmm. overall concept just kind of comes to me via like, I don't know, everything that I take in, you know, just from like what's going on around me and then whatever I'm writing, like the type of sound I'm getting when I'm writing for an album. And then I kind of just go with it. And this is actually your third full length album. Uh, Was there anything that you had in mind that you wanted to do with this album that you hadn't done on your other two albums? Um, well, the first album I did a tour with, the second album I didn't tour, but I played a lot of shows. So this one I'm hoping to do a tour with and play a few bigger shows, of course. And I'm planning on, you know, signing with some sort of label to get a little bit wider distribution on this one. And, uh, this album is looking to get some radio play and stuff too, which, you know, I mean, I've gotten on internet radios and stuff, but this one's getting to a lot higher audience and stuff now, so due to the higher production level and things like that. So I'm just trying to achieve, you know, like a, a wider distribution and wider uh, reach for this one. And how about in the studio? Was there anything that you tried differently this time around that perhaps you didn't do in the past? Yeah. Um, so the first album, I didn't really have like a lot of vocals. The second album, I had more vocals. In this one, I added more vocals. The first album, I didn't have any screams at all. The second album, I had a few. And this one, I have, you know, more. Um, just to portray, like, different characters and different emotions and stuff. 
So this one's just a little bit more, this, this album's a little darker, I think, overall, and it's a little bit heavier. Um, and of course, every album I try to, you know, push myself as a guitar player and stuff too. So there's a little bit more shreddy stuff in it, but there's also more catchy melodies and things like that to reach out to people that aren't as interested in that kind of stuff. Who else played on the album besides besides yourself? Um, I had Max Labetta. He recorded all the drums and percussion, and that's pretty much it. Me and him just did the whole thing together. I did all the guitars and bass and vocals and stuff like that. Okay. And out of singing, playing guitar, or playing, I noticed that uh, you played fretless five-string on the album, which of those three things is actually harder for you to do? Um, I don't know. I'm a really big perfectionist. I think bass is the easiest for me just because it's like I sight read that for when I record it and I write that the fastest. Uh, just because I like to have that compliment the guitars and stuff. But the guitars, um, I don't know. The solos aren't usually too bad. I'd probably say the vocals are the hardest just because they're so subjective or objective and, you know, you always want that to reach the most people and appeal to the most people. So you've got to really try and make those your absolute best. And since I'm not like a formally trained singer, you know, doing those and pushing my limits on that is always a little bit more work than anything else because everyone can critique vocals. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And, and, Touching on the vocals, and you actually mentioned this a little earlier in the interview, you definitely have two different vocal styles on the album, really going with sort of two different extremes. Uh, how long did mm-hmm. it take you to discover your voice, or, or in this case, the voices that you're using on this album? Well, to like to develop them, you mean? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a good question. Uh, for like, my first album and my second album, they both have different tones in my voice, and this one has a different one, too, because I like to, like everything else, you want to progress your sound and, you know, do something different, being a progressive metal band. So, um, this one, I mean, I worked on vocals for, like, two months till I finally came up with a sound I really liked, but even then, I still change it when appropriate in different songs, not just between screams, but, you know, even when I'm doing clean, sometimes I'll want more air or more diaphragm and stuff and doing that kind of takes I don't know I'd say each song on average took like two or three days to do fully for vocals just because you know I'm really I was really a perfectionist about it sending it out to all my guys and getting their opinions on it you know before giving it the final okay and stuff so probably like you know a couple days for each song I figured out a different sound that I would was appropriate. You have a history of including guest players on your albums. Uh, why yeah. did you choose yeah. to work with Dave Reffitt and Miles Baker on this album? Well, Dave, you know, I've known him for a couple of years now because we've shared two endorsement companies and stuff, and I've always thought he was an amazing player, and I've even seen him live and stuff, and he's a really cool guy, and extremely reputable, knows a lot of good people, and I thought it'd be really cool to work with him and, you know, get his really raw sound on a really smooth-sounding type album. So, 
I just thought that would be a really cool contrast, especially with the concept. And Miles Baker, I've been friends with for like eight years or something. And we've been, we've been doing bands together and stuff on the side. And we even had a full on band stuff, you know, a while ago. And, uh, he's a really good guitarist and him and I have always been kind of competitive and stuff. And it's fun to work with him. And he's a really, you know, killer guitarist and now he's in rings of Saturn. So it's cool to have, have that support from a friend as well as a great musician. And I've never been able to use him before. So did you have a hard time getting uh, either one of them on the album or was it, you know, green light from, from the get go from both of them? Yeah, they were both down for it pretty much right off the right off the bat. And I mean, they each took like two weeks or something to get me a solo, so it's pretty pretty smooth. Is there anyone that you'd love to include on one of your albums in the future? Yeah, I did reach out to Guthrie Govin, and he gave me a maybe, but he didn't, then he ended up going on tour, so he wasn't able to with the Aristocrats and stuff. And then uh, Angel Vivaldi, we were looking at using, but his rates were two through the roof, I think, for what we get. And um, I was also looking at using Lucas Mann from Rings of Saturn as well. But, you know, his rates were even higher, so we just kind of wrote it off. You touch on an an interesting point there as far as uh, musicians' rates. Uh, Mm -hmm. People Mm -hmm. sort of take that as a... um, They take that for granted because you see a lot of people... A lot of known people um, appearing on albums, and you sort of, you know, scratch your head because maybe you're not in, you're not um, aware of the artist, or um, you think it's such a big name to work with someone in in particular. And I'm not saying this in your case, but a lot of people don't realize that a lot of people are actually out there for hire. That as long as you want to pay, you know, what they're looking for they'll appear on your album. Right. You touched upon endorsements there a second ago, as far as you and Dave sharing a few different endorsements. Uh, Tell us about the gear that you used on this album. Um, All the rhythm guitars and solos were done on my Laney Ironheart. Um, I have a 120-watt head with a 412 cab that I mic'd with my Shure, with a Shure FM57. Um... I use Samson cables because I think they're like the most noiseless. And for any genty sections, you know, really staccato sounds and stuff, I always use like a noise suppressor for with my boss, my boss MS2, um, just so that way there's less editing needed in the DAW, which I use Pro Tools for. Um, guitars, I did everything on my Legator guitars. And, um, I use all my Dunlop strings, which are, I usually use heavy cores and Dunlop picks. And I think that's about it. Um, oh, for bass, I use, um, I had a Legator bass for a while, but I wasn't able to complete the album on it and it wasn't fretless. So I went ahead and used my Bryce, which is basically an agile bass and a five string fretless through my Carbon R600, which uh, I did DI for. And all that was through my, my M-Audio Profire 2626. I think that's about it. And about the drums, I, I really 
I don't know enough about drums to say everything <laughs> he used. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool. Um, as far as your tuning is concerned, uh, what what did you tune the guitar to? All of our, our tunes are in, um, we play on seven strings. So we play in drop C, and then we drop the seventh to a low G. And the reason why I do that is because eight strings, like, I have an eight string, and playing that is, you know, it, it's okay, but I don't like eight strings quite as much as sevens just because I don't feel like I can do quite as much on them, and I feel like they're a little bit more weight and stuff when you're standing up live and so forth and so on, and there's a lot more maintenance, and it's harder to have a tremolo on them because I like having a floating tremolo for solos and stuff. But, yeah, so we play in drop C with um, a low G, and, same, and then the bass doubles that. So the bass is dropped here. Okay. And out of all of the sort of bios or, or PR stuff that I read regarding your album, everything was listed as being a, a prog band. But there are so many things that historically go with a prog metal band, uh, whether that's keyboards, whether that's almost, I don't know, like power metal type vocals. Um with what you're offering, it's obviously so different to what people have become accustomed to uh, in this subgenre of metal. Um, how difficult do you think it is to sort of fit in to the, the, the prog metal subgenre without having a lot of the stereotypical um, instrumentation that goes along? In all honesty, I kind of think that a lot of that just comes from feel, like, I come from a background of classical, jazz, um, rock, metal, all sorts of genres and stuff. Um, so when you kind of combine all those elements, it kind of takes like on a different shape when you want to write in one genre. So when I write in metal, I might have a riff that sounds kind of thrashy or something, but then it's mellowed out by what I write on the bass or it's mellowed out by having half notes on vocals or a slow melody on lead. And then sometimes I'll do it straight in 4-4 four, four, or do it in 7-8 and then have drums in 4-4. Four, four. And just things like that kind of make it a little bit more progressive sounding because it's, you know, it's a little bit less expected or it has a little bit of a different taste to it than, you know, uh, most bands. But I really think that it just comes down to whatever you hear in your head. And I mean, if it's, I don't really, I didn't classify our stuff as anything really other than just metal. But then when started, people started calling it progressive metal and saying it had jazz influence and classical influence and stuff like that, I mean, it makes sense since that's my background. Um, but I think a lot of it just comes from, you know, what, what you hear or what your background is. Um, and I guess using different instruments helps too. Like we also use acoustics and have mellow parts and really heavy parts then like you know easygoing parts too that are like right in between shreddy stuff and melodic stuff catchy stuff heavy stuff so it's i think it's just having a bit of everything that's kind of why just what i was going for is i just like playing everything so i try incorporating a little bit of everything and it turns out people classify that more as like prog metal with fusion influence and classical or whatever they want to call it. But I mean, I don't really get all into, you know, genre labeling too much, to be honest. Right, right. Yeah, a lot of times it does get a bit silly because, I mean, 
you think about prog metal and, and the first thing I think for the most part, people are, you know, they, they think about dream theater or, you know, symphony X or, or things of that nature. And maybe in the, the last, you know, decade or so, maybe you have people classifying Mastodon or, or things like that. Yeah, exactly. In, so, I mean, you, you do see a, a, a sway in an evolution, but it was, it was interesting that, you know, like all other forms of metal that need to evolve and, and take on different shapes and go on in different directions. I thought it was interesting that if what you're doing is going to be classified as prog per se, that it is definitely, you know, another, uh, you know, sort of uh, twist in the road per se of what, uh, you know, prog metal is moving forward. Yeah. I've actually had someone even try and break, like, cause I don't really understand these whole genre breakdowns because there's subgenres of subgenres and stuff now. And it's, yeah. it's just getting pretty ridiculous. And one guy was trying to explain to me how prog isn't the same as progressive metal. How prog is more like dream theater and progressive metal is more like opeth and, and stuff like that. And I mean, it's like, you know, I think a lot of people just have this stuff in their head on wanting to classify it. So I think it really just comes down to the personal opinion. I don't really think there's any set in stone thing that, you know, determines what genre it really is other than being like country versus metal, of course, or something like that, you know? And a lot of it, a lot of it though, I think has to do with mixing. Like if you've noticed mixes for thrash metal are going to sound completely different than country or punk is going to sound totally different than progressive metal. So I think a lot of it has to do with either the instrumentation, like, you know, what, guitar you use or equipment you use along with how you record it and mix it yeah i I think in the end and i've mentioned this a bunch of times on the show it it does get sort of nutty when you see what um you know what some what someone at a label or a pr person is is sort of stapling on an album just to try to sell it or whatever at the end of the day i think either music is good or it sucks you know (laughs) i think there's really nothing else in between and you know especially with metal you know with everything that you're mentioning all your different influences all the different things that you've that you have in your background i mean that just shows that you can appreciate other types of music and incorporate it with what you want to do with your own music yeah well i mean i don't let genre really influence my taste like i mean i like bands like the rasmus room five you know i like those bands they're they're fine i mean the newer stuff i don't like as much but you know i mean the bands change from album to album and that doesn't mean you can't like a band just because their new album isn't good you know what i mean like sometimes they have a good album and so you like the band but i mean i also throw on faceless and decapitated sometimes and i love that too it's like you know, the genre is what it is, but I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with whether or not I'm going to decide if I like it before I hear it. Yeah, I hear you. As far as your influences are concerned, you just mentioned a bunch of different bands there. Um, what do you think people would think is your strangest influence? If if you were going to name, well, you know, this band is a huge influence on me, what do you think they would peg as being sort of peculiar? I don't know that those both are probably good ones. Maroon Five and um, the Rasmus. I mean, Rasmus is kind of like a darker Green Day, basically. 
Um, but yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I like I like easy listening stuff though too. Sometimes like that, you know, it's like you can get into it and really appreciate the good production on it and stuff like that too. It's pretty cool. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of metal stuff. I listen to way more metal than I do, you know, things like that, of course. But that doesn't mean that some of that stuff isn't, you know, in my taste. Sure. Okay, cool. And where can people go to find out more about the Dylan Fur Band? Um, they can visit our Facebook, which is facebook.com slash Dylan Fur Band. Or they can go to our personal website, which is just dylanfur.webs.com. Um, I mean, hell, you can even just Google my name and a bunch of sites will come up with my stuff on it. So it's it's pretty much, it's in a lot of places, which is, you know, really cool. And we've worked hard to achieve, but we've tried to make it pretty easy for people to locate us, you know. Right. Okay. And the best place to pick up the album at the moment is where your band camp or is there another place where you'd like people to go? Um, yeah, well, they can get a physical copy on Bandcamp. The digital copy is only available on iTunes and CD Baby for download right now. Uh, but physical copies you can get on Bandcamp or on our personal website. And I think that's about it right now for buying. For streaming, though, we're on a bunch of other sites like um, Spotify and Pandora and things like that. This is Dylan Burr, and you're listening to Mars Attack Radio.
there you go. That was a little Hidden Motives by Dylan Fur, the Dylan Fur Band, and that track featured Dave Reffitt, although we did not hear the solo part. I want you guys to go out and check the album out. We do have links to Amazon and iTunes for that particular album. It is Juxtaposition. Hope you enjoyed that. Want to thank Dylan for coming on in such short notice. Sorry for not releasing this last week as I had originally intended. But uh, nonetheless, support Dylan and the album. Uh, It is once again available on both Amazon and iTunes. Uh, Moving forward, we are going to be getting into some music by Ol' Drake. This is off of his album, Ol' Drake. And this track has been, um, how could I put it? Well, it's been a stir on the web. You know, a lot of people have been talking about it. I've seen it on various different sites. Um, I've heard him asked about the track on uh, various interviews that he's done. And the track, I, I think there is no mistaking whatsoever what the influence is. The name of the track is Han Valen. <laughs> it's funny because uh, my brother and I, and this is something that my brother came up with, um, we always used to refer to Sammy Hagar as Hammy Sagar. So there you go. <laughs> difference is, old Drake can put an album out with a track called Han Valen, and he can have a ton of people talking about it. And <laughs> and be on E-Rake Records and this and that. And I'm here on Mars Attacks talking about Hammy Sagar. There you go. So let's get into a little hand veiling before we get into the interview with Mr. Drake himself. Well, not Drake. I think he's the rapper. Old Drake. There you go. Ol. O-L. Ol Drake. Okay, here we go. Hand veiling.
the actual writing process for the album Old Rake vary from anything that you've previously done with Evile? Um, I think first off, uh, I didn't have my brother there saying, that's shit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, It it was different than... um, Before I was just kind of writing metal songs and, you know, I'd get to a certain section where I'd think, right, the vocals need to come in here. This is going to be a chorus and all that. And when I started writing the, the solo stuff, I, it didn't work at all. It started to sound like I was writing an Evile song. And I, it took me about six months to actually get my head around how to change styles of writing. So completely different. Just I just did it day by day and added to it when I felt like I could add something to it. It was quite difficult, actually. That That's interesting. You hear a lot of people talk about something similar like for example if they've gone from only playing guitar to all of a sudden singing and playing guitar you know or it takes a while to sort of find their voice for their music but it's interesting to hear that you actually had to sort of do the same thing to do your own thing as opposed to just being not pigeonholed or stuck but just doing the same thing that you'd been doing in the past to sort of differentiate the two yeah i I think again I, I tried doing um, metal, like instrumental, but it, it just sounded really cliche and forced, and I just wasn't enjoying it, so I just completely did a U-turn and tried, like, rock metal, and it just, I enjoyed it a lot more, so I had to start down that road. Okay. And did you feel any pressure writing this album due to the fact that people were going to know you from Evile? Uh, no, I... I, I, not in a not in an asshole way, but I just kind of stopped caring a while ago <laughs> what people might think. I mean, you, you get good reviews and you get bad reviews, and if you concentrate on the good ones, you're going to be let down by the bad ones. So I just, just no, I, I just did it, and if people liked it, that was great. So no, there was no pressure. Other than the deadline, the deadline was the pressure. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've always got the good old label behind you cracking the whip then. Oh, yes. Well, not in a bad way, but, you know, um, it took longer than I expected to write it. So all the time they were like, come on, we want to hear something. And I was like, well, I don't have anything. So, How long ago did you start writing the material for the album? I, it's about September or October in 2013. So a while. <laughs> When you went in to actually record the album, was there anything that you really wanted to do that you hadn't been able to do with Evile, maybe from a production standpoint or from a, I don't know, um, using specific gear in the studio that maybe you couldn't use in the past? Uh, Not really, because we were always quite limited in terms of producing and writing. So the only difference was that I had a bit more money from the deal because it's just me on my own and I could buy my own gear to record at home. But other than that, it was good to be able to, uh, you know, write in major keys instead of minor keys for once and, you know, try something a bit happier and not, you know, tied down to the thrash thing. Like, oh, you can't do that. That's not thrash. (laughs) Yeah, just trying some different musical stuff out. Okay, did you find that that was sort of, like, bothersome to you that people tried to enforce rules on you as to what is supposed to be metal or what's supposed to be thrash or what isn't supposed to be thrash and is that one of your motives to sort of do this on your own? The first album into the grave everyone's 
said when we came out, oh, it's just Slayer ripoff, it's trash crap, blah, blah, blah. But then three albums later, the first album was then our best album because it's the most thrash, and the, the newest one is shit. And it's just like, just just make your mind up and just shut up. <laughs> yeah. It, it just becomes tiring. It's like, just, if you want Slayer, go and listen to Slayer. <laughs> oh, that, that makes complete sense. I mean, there are a lot of bands that people... You know, try to send my way for the show or whatever, or even other hosts. Say, oh, you got to check these guys out. They sound like this. Yeah. <laughs> a lot of times my answer is, well, if I want to hear something that sounds like, then I'll listen to that. Not it sounds like. Some... <laughs> yeah. You had James Murphy work on the album. Uh, how important was his input? Uh, well, we started talking before I even started writing. So um, every now and then I'd send him stuff and he'd see how it was sounding. He didn't really have input on the writing side of things, but he did have input on how it would sound. And we went through, like, guitar tones and just how I'm going to record it, and he helped me a lot out with Pro Tools because I was kind of a, a newbie at that. And, yeah, without James's input and help, it wouldn't have sounded as good as it does. One thing that really stands out to me about the album, and one of the things that really turned me off uh, to instrumental albums over the years, is a lot of times it's just some wanking off on the guitar, showing that he can play all these great solos, but you listen to what, what's behind that person, and it's shit. It, it absolutely sucks, but with every one of the tracks on your album, it seems like you made a really conscious effort to make sure that the whole composition worked and that it made sense and that you weren't just throwing solos out there just to throw a solo out there yeah that was, that was my main aim with the album I, I i agree i don't like instrumental guitar stuff wholly because it is just them showing off and yeah I, when i started writing i was recording solos and i was just thinking while playing this is me showing off this is me oh look how cool i am and I just, I had to step back and say, no, the song's more important. So I, I treated it, the song first, and then the solos were completely kind of last resort to get tackled, really. Right. So once, once the song was like down to my liking, I thought, right, I can start writing the solos to it now. Because if I, if I wrote the solos to the song, like the solos first, it would just, it would be a solo album, like guitar solos. And I didn't want that. This is similar to what we've been talking about. Um, a lot of people, unfortunately, within the metal community like to uh, you know, put rules on things or say that something is no longer metal when at one point in time it may have been considered metal or hard rock or whatever. <laughs> the case in point here is the, the first track off of your album, Han Valen, which obviously shows your you know, influence that Van Halen may have had or Eddie Van Halen's playing may have had on you as a player. For for so long, that was sort of a stigma, especially for heavier bands to, you know, even want to say, oh, well, yeah, he influenced me. It always had to be, well, you know, Dime influenced me, or this person. It always had to be a, a heavier influence. So when it came time to write this song, was there ever in the back of your mind, you know, thinking, well, or, or any of the album? I'm going to go for something, you know, whether the influence in the end, whether it's something that's acoustic or, or something that like this sounds like Van Halen or has a Van Halen influence, excuse me, whether, you know, people think it's metal enough or not. Um, 
I think I did initially, but I mean, I've been in Evil for half my life, and it's quite obvious who the influences are. Like, you can't hide from the Metallica, the Testament, and all that. So I think I think shying away from that is stupid. Like, people can hear it; they know what other bands sound like. So, I mean, the the Van Halen thing came from just the tapping intro thing, which is kind of like eruption. And I wrote that when I was about sixteen, and when I wrote the riff for the song, uh, the drum beat underneath it, I noticed it sounded a bit like Hot for Teacher. And I was like, right. oh, crap. I have to call it Anvil and just to, just for that extra nod. And I remember a friend of mine said, oh, you can't call it that. It's too obvious. And I was like, why? Why not? I mean, I, I'm just, I think I'm past worrying about that. I mean, everyone's influenced by everyone. The biggest bands in the world are influenced by someone, so why hide it? Yeah, I agree. Um, it, it, whenever instrumental albums are discussed, the obvious is always to bring up Satriani and Vi. What are some of your favorite instrumental albums by other artists? Well, to be honest, my, my favorites are Satriani and Vi, uh, but not to the extent that I am a geek with it. I mean, I only had a few of their albums growing up, and um, in a way, I, I guess... Bands like Annihilator, I mean, it's a solo project, it's Jeff Waters, but it's a band, you know, with vocals. But I literally concentrated on just the guitar work. And so for me, I'd guess Annihilator, but just because I was concentrating on the solos and learning all them. Um, yeah, I'm, as I said earlier, I wasn't a big fan of instrumental guitar stuff because after a while it's just like, you know, you're just showing off. Although I will say... Ingvar Malmsteen's first album, The Rising Force, was one that really made me go, oh, okay, that's really good. <laughs> On the track, guitars, playing guitars, obviously you have a, a bunch of guests doing different solos on there. How difficult was it for you to put all that together and get all these people involved? Uh, it was stressful, like, because, um, you know, they're all very busy, and especially Gary being with Slayer. Um, I, I was just emailing people saying, oh, would you like to play over this bit? And I was sending little snippets of you could play between three minutes something and whatever. And they'd be like, oh, could I maybe do a bit before that? And everything started overlapping and it got really stressful, but I eventually got through. Uh, but yeah, it, it was very it was very easy once I got all the solos together and I could kind of work around them. But it was just great to get Gary and James and Josh involved. Was there anyone that you wanted to get involved that wasn't able to participate? I wanted to get Jeff from Annihilator involved. I asked him, but he just didn't get back to me. But he was you know, really busy with new album. And maybe he just didn't want to. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask the Machine Head guys as well. But again, they're busy. I asked and no response. Maybe it's no one like me. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sure it had more to do with them just being... Super busy. Anything else? <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Is there anyone in the future? I mean, that for for a future album that you'd want to release. Is there like a I don't know some type of a um, uh, someone that you look up to or someone that you'd like to get involved um, that would almost be like a dream for you to have them solo on your one of your tracks? Um. Yeah, there's quite a lot, but um, the first that came to mind, I'd like to get Steve DiGiorgio on bass from okay. Death and them. Um, 
fanboy answer, Kirk Hammett would be great to get. That's just for me being 12 and loving him. <laughs> um, God. Uh, I'd like to do something with Michael Ackerfeld from Opeth, but that, that'd be more like writing, because he's amazing at prog, and I'd like to introduce some prog elements if I do more. Uh, other than that, I can't really think. <laughs> and you're going to be playing some dates in the next few weeks, including Bloodstock, Open Air. Um, do you have anything set in stone already for the set list, or is that something you're still working out? Um, me and my friend Rob, he plays for a band called Fetal Juice. Uh, <laughs> uh, we've, we've got the songs practiced, but we haven't got the order yet. Um, I'm toying with the idea of putting a cover in there, but it's getting really last minute now, so I might just have a laugh with the album songs. I was thinking about putting a, a Sepultura song in because they clash with us at Bloodstock, and I thought, <laughs> for the people who want to watch me, or the five people who want to watch me, they could hear a Sepultura song. So you just mentioned your friend Rob is going to be playing with you. Who else is going to be joining you on stage? Um, it's just me and Rob, but the rest will be backing tracks, the bass and the rhythms and stuff. But I'm getting two friends of mine um, to wear green morph suits and mime the backing tracks on actual garden rakes. <laughs> because, I, I don't know, I just had the idea and it sounded funny. So that's what's going on. <laughs> that's awesome. Is it? <laughs> oh, I, th- I think it is. I mean, that's... that's... I think that's brilliant. I mean, given given all the themes that you've been working with on the, you know, album and everything else, and you know, the play on your name and everything else. I mean, that makes complete sense. And I guess so. <laughs> and I think you know, to a point. I mean, I think your music is is very serious, and I think it's it's good to have a laugh with a lot of this stuff. I mean, maybe people take certain aspects of music uh, too serious at times. You did a. Uh, track commentary on Spotify, uh, and one of the things that you discussed was how you incorporated uh, three-part harmonies in one of the tracks. And the first thing that came to mind was one of these, you know, old G3 tours with all the guys we've been talking pretty much with Satriani and Vi and Inve and all this. Would you ever want to be part of? Something similar to that um, from from a touring aspect, and and if so, I mean, would would you know an Annihilator or Jeff Waters or you know what bands would be like the dream sort of thing for you to to tour with uh, for, for you to do shows? I'm not sure. It's a difficult question because I I stopped doing the Evil thing because I just got fed up of touring and you know the lack of well the the no money in that kind of game and it would have to be something special for me to even consider going out on tour again because I, I just didn't enjoy leaving home anymore I mean the G3 thing if that came up I'd be like maybe <laughs> um, but the dream gig is one that will never happen and that'll be you know the fanboy Metallica if Kirk Hammett like breaks his leg or something that's probably the only thing I mean, I've been asked to be in um, a few bands. Uh, Destruction, Shmir from Destruction asked me, and, you know, it'd be fun. But, again, it's t- too much time off work and all that. Need to come home and pay bills, and none of them just made sense to do. 
in the press recently, a lot of people have sort of become surprised that Chuck Billy and I think even uh, Zetro from uh, Exodus mentioned this, how they had worked steady jobs for the longest time and they were going on tour basically when they were on vacation. So uh, I think it's sort of strange after you know doing this for a while that people are still surprised that people hold jobs on the side outside of you know, being in music, it it seems like people still have this disconnect and think that, you know, everyone is David Lee Roth in the back of a stretched limo with a jacuzzi <laughs> and a bunch of midgets and bikini babes, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's a huge misconception. I mean, I think if people see you in a magazine, they think like, oh, wow, they're famous. They, they must be they're rich because they're in a yeah. magazine. And No. <laughs> as simple as that <laughs> streaming music is also something that people have discussed a lot recently and it sort of plays into all of this how you know a lot of people are gravitating towards streaming music but at the same time for you guys as artists it's also less money to be had i would think um do you, yeah do you see streaming music actually helping music in the long run do you see it where you know an artist can become viable just off of streaming? Um, I'm skeptical, but I can tell that it's going to be the future of music because it seems to be the way everything's going. Um, it's just a shame because, you know, I, I've always loved buying physical products and, you know, leafing through the booklet and right. stuff like that. And it, it's going to be tougher and tougher for newer bands to even get anywhere because... I think people's attention span is so short today, they want it instantly, and if they're not interested, right. they're not going to check out a new band, just because just they can't. They're going to have to go out of their house and go to gigs, but people seem to do that less and less now, unless it's you know Megadeth coming through. So I don't know, I'm really unsure about that. Yeah, and, and I think um, the the other thing that affects all that I actually had this discussion with another artist not too long ago. A, a lot of people seem to still uh, blame downloading for a lot of things, but I think maybe for older people, you know, maybe 30-something and up, that may still be true, but younger kids aren't going out and uh, I don't think they're downloading things. I think they're going to streaming services and they're going to YouTube yeah. and they're going to Facebook and it's there. And if it isn't there, well, then they pass on to the next group that suggested to them and they're not even bothering to download things because what you just said it's instantly in front of them and that's what they're listening to yeah definitely i mean the other problem is um i understand how all the bands you know made it and made money out of it because there wasn't the internet and i think a lot of people don't realize that how much money goes into actually making a record even if it's going to be just streaming i mean they don't understand that you you buying a cd is the only way that the money can be recouped that was spent on making the album. I mean, if bands go on tour and they sell merch and everything, that goes in the petrol tank, that goes in the, the tour costs, you know. But none of that goes towards the money pool to record the CD. So I think people forget that, that buying the CD actually helps a lot more than they, they realize. Um, what does the rest of... 
2015 hold in store for you? You're doing these two shows. Do you have anything, you know, any spot shows here and there that uh, that you have planned out? Do you have any plans in writing a follow-up to this album? Um, to be honest, no. I, I think I might do a few uh, clinic-type things where it's just me playing to the, the album Q&A. Uh, but Again, I work full time, and any time off is money away from the bills. So it's yeah. I'm gonna have to be careful about what I do, really. And I don't know about a second album because this one took quite a while, very stressful. <laughs> and you know, I, I was in between jobs whilst I was doing it, so I'd be getting a new job, and then um, I'd have to get another one. And I think that's another reason why it took so long. But now I'm in full time. I think another album will take even longer than it did this time, so I have no idea. Would you ever envision yourself doing any type of hire, like solo over the internet or anything like that for for people that want to have your, you know, your musicianship on their music? Uh, maybe. I mean, a few bands have asked, and I've said yes, but I haven't got anything through yet. Um, that's just I've got the time or not, and. You know, a lot of my time is just taken up by, you know, seeing friends and just relaxing in my hometown. And right. If I can find the time, yeah, I would I'd do that. Hi, this is Aldrich, and you're listening to Mars Attacks. <laughs>
There you go. That is a little Rake Waltz off of the album Old Rake by the guitarist Old Drake. There you go. Pretty interesting interview there. Uh, We'll see what the future holds in store for him. And uh, I truly, really like the album. I'm not a huge uh, instrumental guitar fan. And this album really kicks ass, in my opinion. Uh, It's got a little of everything. It's got mellower stuff. It's got the shreddy stuff. But it's all a great composition uh, if you really listen to it. You know, it isn't just some, like, shitty backing track uh, with someone just, you know, jerking off on a guitar. Um, the, The solos... You know, and the tracks all, they're all put together really well. You know, you could tell that there was a great effort to have everything work out really well from start to finish. He took a long time putting it together, as he mentions. Uh, So uh, it'll be interesting to see based on, you know, what response he gets and what, um, you know, what he decides to do in the future. Uh, There are so many artists that, as we touched upon the Dylan Fur interview that um that are doing work for hire type stuff so it'll be cool to see if he pops up in some other project or uh, with some other band or or whatnot uh, It was interesting to see that he was offered a spot in destruction so uh the guy's hugely talented anyone that i've discussed his work or talked about this album to have said nothing but really good things about it, and it really deserves a listen. So check it out. It is one of the first albums that I've purchased this year. I think I've purchased three albums this year. Um, I purchased the old uh, Rake album, or yeah, old Rake, uh, Win Hands Down, the deluxe edition by Armored Saint, and Hidden Evolution by Angela Sapatrida. So. Uh, there you go. Anyway, I want to thank Emma over at Earache for hooking us up with that interview. And want to thank Ole for coming on as well. Um, that pretty much wraps up the show. We're going to end things with a track. Guitars playing guitars. Uh, which also features Exodus and Slayer. Guitarist Gary Holt. Uh, Testaments and Deaths. Um... The former guitarist of Testament and Death, uh, that would be James Murphy, who also produced the album. And you also have Silosis member uh, Josh Middleton. He was able to rake them all in for the track. Ha ha! There you go. Um, but yeah, let's check that out. Uh, that will wrap up the show. Uh, we'll also say that Ole was cool enough to give us some of his comments for two albums for the classic album series uh, that will feature his producer, James Murphy, uh, two bands that he was in, both Death and Testament. We'll leave it at that. If you go to the Amazon store, you could figure it out a lot easier, but there you go. Thanks again for listening, and we leave you with this track by Old Drake. See ya.
Thank you for listening to the Mars Attacks Podcast. This concludes our show.